0: For the sake of time today, I'm going to go ahead and while they're still receiving our tithes and offerings, I know we've had a lot of moving parts today and I wouldn't have changed it for anything, but I do feel uh, uh, an overwhelming urge to make sure that the word is communicated today and I'm running against the clock of time. So I want you to just be mindful and let's pray And then I'm going to dive right into this thing this morning about continuing this Genesis series. Father, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that allows us to hear your word with clarity. Father, I ask you for the anointing of that Holy Spirit to to anoint me to be a conveyor of the gospel. That allows my words to be understood because they are your words, not mine. I ask that, Father, that you use our time wisely today and touch and impact our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. There's a moment in time where we last week we were talking about this man named Abram. He was later to become Abraham. And for us to understand the significance of Abraham, you've got to go back to the story of Noah and the flood. Because Noah gets off of this ark. He is a conveyor of... uh, God uses symbolism or foreshadowings of things in the Old Testament to reveal to us the coming of a Christ, a, a Redeemer... And we see the vehicle of mercy, a righteous man standing in an unrighteous world, and the hand of God's judgment is not prevented, but judgment is not complete. He doesn't wipe out all of humanity. Even for one man, He saves them through a vehicle of mercy called an ark. But I want you to touch your neighbor, because this is one of those touch your neighbor moments, and I want you to get this as a theme for today's sermon. Just because you're righteous doesn't make you perfect. I want you to tell that. Just because you're righteous, it doesn't make you perfect. How many of you are glad? Say amen. 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 Because this righteous man named Noah... In Genesis chapter six, verse eight, it says, "But Noah was righteous, blameless, and walked with God. And he was so righteous that he moved the heart of God with his righteousness, not for judgment to be complete and wipe out all of humanity. But this righteous man is revealed in his imperfection, because when he finally gets off of this ark, he has a new job. It's to it's to be a, a an owner of a vineyard." And now he's growing these grapes and he's understanding that he can drink wine from these grapes. And I mentioned this last week, you've got to get really drunk to drink your clothes off. When you get drunk naked, I mean, when, you've, when you get so far that you're just drinking and saying, man, it's so hot in here, i just got to get this stuff off me. <laughs> well, he passes out an irresponsible position of a righteous man. Not a perfect man. In his vulnerability of of shame, his son named Ham is going to see him in this undignified position and he does not redeem him, but he actually mocks him to his brothers. Now his brothers act responsibly um, and they put a, a garment on their shoulders and they walk backwards not to dishonor their father, drop it on him to cover him and redeem his unqualified position and walk out. Well, when he comes to, he gets angry and he finds out what his son Ham does and he, he pronounces a curse. And a lot of times it's hard to preach the curses of the Bible because all everybody wants to hear is the blessings of the Bible. Tell me what God's going to do for me. Well, if you don't understand the curses, you can't possibly be thankful enough in the moments of blessing. Because in this curse, he doesn't curse his son, Ham, he curses his grandson, Canaan. And then 400 years later, God meets with a guy named Abram, and he connects him to be a foreshadowing of a Christ that is going to come. Because you say, Pastor, how important are curses to be preached about? Let me ask a question. How many of you found yourself in the the vulnerable position being cursed by the law of sin and death? And you needed a Savior. None of you were born perfect. All of you had to come to Jesus to make sure that you had eternity. And if you needed a Savior, you were bound by the curse of the law of sin and death. Is everybody under that curse? Say amen. But then you got redeemed by a redeemer named Jesus, and the chains of that curse were broken, and you were set free by the power of the gospel, of the shed blood of Jesus, His death, His crucifixion, death, and resurrection, provided you that no longer now are you cursed, but now you live blessed, according to Romans, it says there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen? And that's the whole story of Abram. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, he changes his name from Abram to what? Abraham. He adds H-A-M. Oh, isn't that coincidental that he went back to the name of the son that did the irresponsible thing of not covering his father? And then he's going to send him on a faith journey that we preached about last week to this mysterious place called what? Canaan? Oh my goodness, there's the other name. Because Abram was going to represent a foreshadowing of a Jesus that was going to come and redeem us from the law, from a cursed position into a blessed position. And we have to understand that. So he takes him and tells him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to cut covenant with you. And he promises some things like, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And I am going to bless the world through you. And yet he takes this step of faith. He starts to go to a place he doesn't even know about yet. And then he gets there. And you know what? Not one single one of those promises were fulfilled in the process of him getting from where he was to where he was going. He gets to Canaan. Canaan's a train wreck. Canaan's under a curse. He don't even own land yet. He gets there and we think that all of a sudden all he has to do is just get there and then the blessings of God start pouring in. No, he has to start becoming credible to those that are in the curse that he has to stay long enough in difficult circumstances to provide an opportunity for others to see the covenant in him and working through him that blessings are going to come with a relationship with a God that they haven't even heard of yet. And I preached last week so passionately about those that will stay because the New Testament tells us that if we can survive the temporary setbacks of the frustrations of today's pain, that the glory to come will be out, that will far outweigh the pain we walk through. But did you know that when we pick up his story today, it takes him ten years to have a child? Even after he gets there. And that brings me to a moment that I get to have sometimes in a moment of positions. My children have shared their lives with a group of people all of their lives and there's unique moments that I get to balance the score. See, I had my oldest son and his wife, Aaliyah, David and Aaliyah, have been trying to have children for several years and there's been moments of questions of why, God, you haven't answered yet. Same thing happened to Abraham. He's like, oh God, this is one of the character flaws of Abraham and one of the character flaws that most of us have. When God gives us a promise and it doesn't happen quickly or instantly, we sometimes waver in our faith and we try to sometimes help him out. And so Abraham starts to say, well, you must have meant that my servant, Eleazar, I treat him like a son. He must going to be my heir of promise. Did I get you right, God? God says no. You ever notice that God just tells the truth all the time? (laughs) And so his wife, this thing about taking things into your own hands gets contagious. And his wife gets into the act, and she concocts this thing, this plan that says, I know what God means. We got some blessings from Egypt when we went over there. We got some male servants and some female servants. And I got this pretty little maid named Hagar, and God must want you to have her as your wife. And for you, her to be a surrogate mother for me and you to have her as your wife and she's going to get pregnant for me and then we're going to have a child through her. And Abraham goes, Amen. <laughs> oh, I, I feel Jesus. Yes, yes. Woo. Have you ever noticed when you start getting in the way of things and you start trying to create things that sometimes it can create you a problem because they, they do the plan and on the plan, on the surface of the plan, it seems to work perfectly because she has a child. It is 100% Abraham's child. Now I get to stop for a prophetic moment to my son and my daughter-in-law. See, there was moments where they could not understand the no because they didn't understand that the no meant wait for a moment because your blessing is yet to come. Because had God had answered the way that they prayed, my daughter-in-law would have been vulnerable because her health situations were not, we were not fully aware of all of her health situations. And had she conceived at that point, we would have understood that she or the baby could have been in jeopardy. In the moment where they prayed, and I know that I was in this condition, so it doesn't, you don't have to be a homeowner to have children. But when they were praying to get pregnant, they were renters, but now they're homeowners. Amen. And we didn't understand it. And then delayed no sometimes makes you question whether God really meant what He said to begin with because we start comparing our works to what God's response is to it. But He is faithful all the time. And today, the first son, this is a, a, my daughter, my granddaughter's first Sunday. And can I introduce to you, Dave, though no was worth the wait because now you have a healthy wife sitting next to you and you have a beautiful daughter that is in complete and whole health. And would you stand? stand? Stand up and show this congregation Riley and Abigail Pleasant. The Simba moment. But Abraham has Ishmael, and Ishmael is 100% his son, and he loves Ishmael. And in chapter 17, verse 18, God shows up and says, Eleazar is not your heir. And immediately, Abram starts to negotiate with God and says, Hey God, I tell you what, let Ishmael be my son of promise. And God again says, No. That's how much he loved him. He said, Let Ishmael be before you. And he said, No, the son of promise will come from the womb of Sarah. And one year from now, I will come back and you will be cradling another baby. It is so hilarious to Sarah overhearing the conversation that she laughs and denies that she even laughs. What is she laughing at? Her man. He can't do what he used to be able to do. And by the way, I can't do what I used to be able to do. And even when I was young, I wasn't able to do it. And I can't even do it. If I wasn't able to do it when I was young, what makes him believe I can do it now that I'm old and past my time? But you know what happened? The faithfulness of God through covenant in a cursed situation started bringing forth the blessing that said, I will make a nation out of you and your seed will be of the sand of the seashore. And immediately, he performed, my dad preached a message one time and I'm not going to go into all of that because he went through like getting himself all gussied up like he was Abraham going into an old woman named Sarah. But you know what happened one year later? They're cradling a baby named Isaac. And then, have you ever noticed that your plan and God's plan sometimes gets in conflict with one another? And they start fighting. Sarah can't stand Hagar. Hagar can't stand Sarah. It still goes on today. Lebanon hates Syria. Syria hates Jordan. Everybody hates Israel. You know, it was prophetic in the book of Genesis. Because God says, you, got, you intervened. I didn't cause this conflict. You did through putting the, the thinking that I'm not faithful. But this is what you're going to have to do. Show yourself faithful because they can't coexist. Send the, the maid woman and her son. Send them out into the desert with a flask of water and let me take care of them. Because if you turn them over to me, I'm going to make a prince out of him. If he stays with you, he'll be a nobody. But if you put him in my hands, I'll make a prince and a nation out of him. And he walks him to the desert, 100% his son. Because there's moments. Have you ever noticed that we pray and pray and pray to avoid painful moments in our lives? And sometimes God does not create painful moments, but He uses painful moments in our lives to prepare us for another moment that is yet to come. And if you can be faithful in doing some difficult things at the beginning, you'll learn that God is faithful enough to take care of you at the end. That if you don't abandon your faith in the middle of the no, because the no didn't come, or the yes didn't come when you thought it should come, but He knew Knew that your life better. Wouldn't God be horrible if he would have answered David's prayer with a yes before we understood the medical concerns of his wife and he would have said, I'll answer your prayer, but it'll cost you something else. But God already knew. And so what made God look harsh and make hard sometimes because we didn't understand that the temporary no was for our blessing. Have you ever walked through something it's because sometimes you got to give up something you love. Anybody ever had to give up something they love? I have. See, it's faith moments that prepare you for the next moment. Because you know what he did? He took that son Ishmael to the, the, to the desert and sent him out. And you know what? God was faithful. When the flash w- run out and they were about to be overcome with the heat of the desert, an angel showed up and said, I've been sent from the Most High. Don't you worry about your son. He will not die in this desert and neither will you. Because God has spoken a word through covenant, through the man that birthed, that that fathered this child that said, I will make a nation out of him and 12 princes will come from his, his lineage and his heritage. And you know what? God was faithful the whole time because he was waiting for another moment. Genesis chapter 22 when he says, okay, it's time for you to take the son of promise and take him to a mountain and kill him. Hmm. That's why, that's why the Bible don't make sense sometimes. How could a father do that? He had already done it one time. See, I learned when I started in a career, uh, younger in my life, I understood some things that were preparing me for my future. When God said, hey, I tell you what, I was the youngest plant manager and the fifth largest chemical distributor in the world in my early 20s. My career path was I wanted to make all the money I could, get to the corporate office before I was 30 and retire before I was 55. That was my plan. But then God said, Get up, give up your career. And I want you to go into the vocational ministry. And guess what I'm going to pay you? I'm going to pay you $250 a week with no benefits. And you've got two children. Good luck. And you know what happened? I learned that I stepped out by faith and found out that God was with me the whole time. That I never once went backwards. Now, there were difficult moments. There were challenging moments. I can't say that I lived the way I live today back then. I lived in a 900-square-foot house that I could that, that was falling apart in every direction. And I had one a window unit, and I could either decide to have air conditioning or watch TV because you couldn't do it at the same time. The gap between my youngest son's nursery was so prevalent that we had to roll newspapers up and tape it, and we actually got a snake one time caught in the tape trying to get into the nursery. But I found out that every time I needed something, God was faithful. And I found out that if I could trust him with a career, it was preparing me for the moment where God was going to tell me. You want to, you want to talk about faith? The faith was the law of representation because that's what God wanted you to learn through the, uh, the request of offering si- uh, Isaac as a sacrifice. See, the law of representation meant that something happened in the Old Testament that was going to represent God in the New Testament. So we have a father taking a son up on a mountain. He declares that it is a moment of worship. He never believes that that Isaac is not coming down. He takes servants. He takes donkeys. They get to a mountain. He tells the servants me and the lad will go worship. We will all come back. Because he believed that if I have to thrust the knife in his chest the God that gave me the promise that he was the son that was going to carry my seed as the sand of the seashore will raise him from the dead. We know the story. Abraham represents God the father. Isaac represents God the son. On the same mountain thousands of years later. Both sons carrying wood on their back. Now now the real son's here. The name Jesus starts to ring a bell. Now the father is not only in representation form because Isaac didn't have the right blood to redeem us from the law of sin and death, but Jesus did. He said, I'm gonna take the image that you had of taking your son up there and you passed the faith test that I gave you earlier in the desert to give you credence to take this next step of faith, but I'm gonna go all the way. I'm gonna send my son, put wood on his back, carry him up the same mountain, hang him between between heaven and earth. He is going to die. His blood is going to be shed. But that blood will speak to my ears and will redeem mankind once and for all. And then he will get up from the dead. The same image you had of your son getting up, my son will get up and redeem the world. Amen. Amen. See, you want to talk about career, See, sometimes we, don't want to, we want to hear a gospel where we always get. Sometimes you've got to go through some stuff. See, me giving up my career in the chemical company prepared me to give up my career in the vocational ministry. Let's just do a survey. How many of you have ever preached in the largest church in the world? Yeah, I preached on Prayer Mountain, South Korea. How many of you are ever elected to one as one of the youngest members of the Church of God State Council in the state of Florida? How many of you preach camp meeting? I thought might get a hand or two. There's one. There's another one. Couple. Yeah. See, my identity was wrapped up. But God knew that there was coming a moment that I had to step out by faith and he was going to tell me, David, you remember when you were the guy that worked in the chemical company and I asked you to step out by faith? I'm going to ask you to step out by faith again. You're not going to understand it. But I've got another plan for you that prepared me for today. And and if I didn't do that eight years ago, we would never be here today in what we are. But God was faithful back then and he proved to be faithful now because you know what happened when Isaac come down off of that mountain and he... Did not have to die. He grew up. And then we get the law of representation of Eliezer becomes representative of God the Holy Spirit. Here's where I get to preach for two more minutes, five more minutes. Amy, come get ready. And he has to go get his son a bride. Who's the bride? We are. The church. The bride of Christ prepared for the bridegroom. And Abraham brings Eliezer, a representative of God, the Holy Spirit, and he says, these are the rules. I need you to go back to where we come from. I don't want him marrying a Canaanite. Go back to where we come from, pick out a wife and bring her back. And she must choose to come back. It's against the culture, but I need her to have a choice. She needs to choose to come back. You can't force her. You can't make it a you and her father decision. She's got to decide to come back. And if she don't come, you can never take the son of promise out of the promised covenant. You can never take him back. They always have to come to him. Okay. He gets ten camels full of wealth. Goes 600 miles back to Mesopotamia. He ends up near a well where women gather to get water. And he says a simple prayer. Okay, God, help me to pick the right bride for, my, for your son. And so all i got to do is I'm going to have a test. I'm going to tell every woman that comes to the well I'm thirsty. But I know that most of them will give me some water, but the one that you say will give me water and water my ten camels, that's the one I know you'll pick out. First woman there, Rebecca. She comes up, running up. Hey, I'm thirsty. I'll be glad to get you some water. And by the way, I'm going to spend the next two and a half hours, and if you read it closely, running passionately to fill your camels full of water. I'm going to bring gallon after gallon until they're full. And she does this for the next two and a half to three hours, giving them something to drink, running passionately after the things that she doesn't even know she's doing for the Lord. I preach to my staff all the time, just water a few camels, let's see what happens. I pass, it's not in my job, description. just water some camels. It wasn't in hers either. She was just going to get water for her family. But sometimes when you step out of your job description, sometimes God will do something supernatural. And you, you, so many people are so worried about it. Just admit it. I don't want to do it. Don't tell us it's not in your job description because if you'll ever take a step past what you're supposed to do and go one more mile of what you should do, then all of a sudden you'll find out what God could do. Amen? He reaches in for her acts of kindness. Here's why i got to preach for five minutes because this is the moment this church has been waiting for. He reaches in her bag, one of the bags on the camels and puts two gold bracelets on her wrist and a gold ring. And she instantly probably becomes more wealthy than she could have ever become in her entire life. She was not a wage earner. And now she had Gold. And I do think that the church has gotten satisfied with the bracelets and the rings. And he goes back in and he tells her, her, Father, I've been sent from a master that owns everything. And he's given everything that he owns to his son. And his son is looking for a bride. And if she decides to be the bride and travel 600 miles on the back of a camel back across the desert to meet the son, she will inherit it all. Play me something. But to do that, I have to lose some identity. And I've got to rest in his identity and my peace. See, we never get tempted with loving or serving the devil. We get tempted by loving ourselves more than we would love the groom. Um, I'll just stay here with my ring and my bracelets because I don't have to change anything. I'm gonna stay here where I'm familiar and comfortable. I, I got friends here. I, I'm 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 just gonna stay. And we wonder sometimes. We call it revival. We call it God. Why doesn't He answer every prayer like He did in the Book of Acts, where they would go into a city and everybody would be healed? Why not now? Because we got too many. Churches, the brides, the potential brides, being the do-gooders around wells. That all you have to do is give us another ministry. We'll do another good thing. Give us. You want another outreach? Citygate will do another outreach. We do outreach better than anybody. But that's nothing but water and camels. See, I think the thing that is missing in the modern church is not more ministry stuff. It's going and falling in love and giving him a position with the one that the ministry's all about. See, it's, an, it's coming to a place where we say, hey, I'm not satisfied with just doing another good deed. I want to find the one. I'm not wanting a ring of friendship anymore. Give me the ring of covenant. Give me the wife ring. Give me the thing that changes my name. Give me the thing that changes my destiny. All I got to do is go across the desert. That's fine with me. Let's saddle up the camels. Because once I get there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, the camel's going to be somebody else's until I get there. But when I get there, it's mine. When it gets there, everything that the Father has now belongs to the Son. And if I'm in connection and covenant with the Son, all I got to do is get to the place of covenant. I don't want the ring of good of do good Christian anymore I want the ring of covenant that says I have walked across the desert and I've given up some stuff not to be prideful in what I've given up because if you really want to be honest I didn't give up anything of value I thought it was valuable but when I finally got to the one in which I was to meet I found out that everything that I left paled in comparison to who he was that I got the I struck the lottery Well, Pastor, he asked you to give up a chemical career. For what? For the one at the midnight hour when my kids were sick in their room that I could call upon and declare the authority of a relationship that says, God, I am a covenant man standing in covenant position. I need you to do a miracle in the pleasant household. And time after time after time where we look like the, world, the crisis of life would overshadow us and sweep us away with the waves of, of chaos. We would find a God faithful enough to stand at the doorpost and say, you cannot come over here well pastor you gave up a vocational career no I gave up a few potential titles see I gave up a, a potential evangelism director title that would have led me to a state overseers title but you know what what does that compare when I am the bride of the bridegroom that stands before you today that has seen hundreds of children leave this sanctuary as the the forecast of a new generation that is going to believe that what we do when we call messy will call normal. Take your titles and anything that would hold you from going to a covenant position with God and go get the ring that counts. Because she could have got satisfied with a temporary encounter with a representation of God, the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound like the church? Oh, let's just pray for the Holy Spirit to move again. But do you realize when she got on the camel, she was with Eleazar all the way back to the sun. I don't want temporary anymore. I want eternal. I want the things that last. I want marriages to recover. I want sick people to get healed. I want lost people to be found. I want the brokenness of your life to become whole. And I can't do that with clever messages. I can only do that with an encounter with the husband. Stand here. Well, sit down. Let's worship for a minute. Let's worship. I know the Holy Spirit has probably spoken to you, but will you honor me today with just singing that? I live to worship. Will you do that one more time?